This is Kay Arnold, um, and I am a volunteer with the Austin History Center Association Oral History Committee. And today I have the honor of interviewing Joseph Pearson Quander Jr., MD, at the Austin History Center. We're in the O. Henry Room. And today is Wednesday, September the 21st, 2016. And this interview is for the Austin, Texas History Makers Oral History Project. So Dr. Quander, we're gonna kind of start out and we're gonna work our way through your life. I'll ask you some questions and um, we'll finally end up with you here in Austin and you'll tell us a little bit about how you impacted Austin and how Austin impacted you, okay? So, Dr. Quanter, can you tell us, please, um, where you were born and when, if that's okay to ask? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. I was born in Washington, D.C. and uh, in 1934, so um, February the 1st. Uh, so, coming this February the 1st, I'll be... 83. Oh, awesome. yes. Wonderful. Yes. Can you tell me about your parents and um, what they did and what, what life was like there in D.C. when you were a child? Well, um, we were getting sort of mobilized for World War II uh, when I came into um, well, going to elementary school, um, <clears throat> and my father worked uh, for the War Department, and my mother worked for the um, government printing office. Um, my mother um, and her job they did the Senate and the House records, yeah. and volumes and volumes of those you see at, at, at the uh, printing office. And the printing office is um, on North Capitol Street, across from Union Station, and it's pretty much on the mall of uh, the district. Uh, um, the, the mall is on one side of the mall is the Capitol, on the other side is uh, the Lincoln Memorial, and then the White House <coughs> is um, north. And my mother worked in the printing office. My father worked uh, in the post office. Awesome. Now, he uh, was in various positions in the post office. Um, my, my father graduated from college and he was pre-med and I don't understand why he didn't finish his education except what was told that he had to come home and work for his family, work to assist his family. Um, however, as a young boy, well, our family lived with my uh, mother's, I mean, my father's 
family initially. Uh, my grand paternal grandparents. And we um, lived in a one room, my mother, father, and my brother, and I. And there were a lot of books in the house. There were a lot of books. And uh, a few years later, I would get curious and start looking through these books. And I came across many medical books, me medical. So, and these were clinical books uh, in, in terms of obstetrics and gynecology and, and things of this sort. And my um, uncle told me that uh, my father had gone to medical school. Oh. And, but no one ever told me he went. Right. And my uncle raised the question as to why didn't my mother tell me? But I never asked uh, uh, my father why he didn't finish medical school, or even if he did, but he, he didn't say. I, I remember when we were preparing for this interview, we talked at length about, and we don't have the ability to do it you know, too deeply today, but I remember you told me um, a bit about the legacy of the Quander family and education, about how important that was in the Maryland and Virginia area. Yes. Uh, well, as I said, my father graduated from college. Mm -hmm. He graduated from West Virginia State. And um, we were told repeatedly about his collegiate years. Uh, I mean, th th there were just fantastic things that we, we listened to. Uh, and he was a fraternity member uh, and famous um, uh, classical fraternity. And he was branded. He had the brand of the fraternity. On, on his chest. Now, I belong to that fraternity mm -hmm. now, and my first cousin, and this is Omega Psi Phi fraternity. It's a national fraternity. And uh, now, I didn't get branded, but I joined the fraternity in D.C. At, at Howard. As I said, my uncle, my first cousin. My brother was in a, a different fraternity. And uh, some of my sons are in fraternity and some aren't. Well, I remember, though, that you had said, um, and help me remember if I'm getting this right, I remember we talked about legacy of education generations back. Yes. Generations back, that it was always important. Yes. Well, my grandmother was from Charleston, South Carolina, and... Um, my paternal grandfather um, was from Maryland, Eastern Shore, Maryland. Now, um, my grandmother's brother was an ordained minister, and uh, his uncle Joe from uh, was a Sumter, South Carolina, outside of Charleston, mm -hmm. and he. Uh, had 
attended the seminary, a famous seminary, and seemingly his going back um, after the freeing of the slaves, someone financially able uh, was able to uh, financially um, sponsor him. And this occurred also with my father's first cousin and, and, and uh, other mammoths, mammoths. Now that's on my father's side. Okay, on my mother's side, my maternal grandmother was a school teacher. She she had so graduated. education was yes was was absolutely a part of yes. your upbringing. And my mother uh, um, did attend Howard University for two years, and uh, she she did not complete her uh, studies, nor did she get a professional job. She worked for the federal government. So where did you, um, what years were you an undergraduate? What, when did you go to? Uh, um, I, I went to Yale in um, 51. 51, and you were class of? I uh, graduated in 57. I originally was supposed to graduate in 55, nice. but I, um, I was out of school for a, a okay. good year. Okay. Yeah. And where did you do your medical education? Uh, in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. I see. I see. Okay. So after you graduated with your medical degree, what did you tell me that you entered the, the armed services? Uh, yes. After I graduated with my M.D., I... Um, selected my internship at D.C. General Hospital, and uh, there, there were three uh, universities there with training programs, Howard University, George Washington University, and Georgetown. Now, some of the programs were integrated. We were uh, lectured by Georgetown professors, George Washington professors, and Howard professors. But some were separate. Mm -hmm. Now, I elected uh, to um, surgery. I, I elected. So uh, during my general internship, I rotated mm -hmm. in surgical service and pediatric and medicine, psychiatry. But then after that first year, I had selected a surgery residency at Howard, mm -hmm. and I um, trained in various branches of surgery. Um, I was in neurosurgery, um, orthopedic surgery, um, <clears throat> pathology, and during my time I performed autopsies and post-mortem examinations. And, and then uh, during this time of surgery, I um, spent, uh, I think, three months in Norfolk, Virginia. We would go there 
and, and train and, and be general surgeons. Now, uh, after two years, I decided I, well, I, I didn't like the program because one of the main reasons I didn't like it was <laughs> because I didn't cut enough. I, it was a hierarchy, <clears throat> and you, there wasn't enough surgery to go around. To go around, and I was upset because I had done two years of surgery. I had written a lot of papers, presented a lot of cases, treated, but one specific thing was I never done a gallbladder operation. See, two years of surgery training. And, 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 and after internship, so in my third year postgraduate training, I, I hadn't performed a cholecystectomy. And that, that was very disappointing because I, I wanted to, to cut. I, I wanted to, to operate and I was inspired by uh, Ben Casey. Yeah. I, I really w wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And I mean, you know, there, there were several other doctor programs, but Ben Casey was my hero. So you then left there and entered the service, is I that right? That's right. And so you were acting as a physician in the Air Force? Is, yes. I can't remember. And they I, stationed I, you first in Georgia. Is that yes, right? Yes, yes. I was a class D surgeon. Mm -hmm. Now, my first assignment was in Goose Bay, Labrador. But because my wife was seven months pregnant, <clears throat> I, uh, well, I, I didn't particularly, I hadn't heard anything about Goose Bay. And I didn't want to go up the real cold climate, right. and 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 so as I said, the, there was ruling that you did not have to accept an assignment if your wife was uh, along in her pregnancy. So they, I really wanted to go to California, but I had no say so in where they assigned. But I wanted to go to San Diego and live in San Diego and practice in San Diego. That, that was my hope. But they sent me to Albany, right. Georgia. Right. And Albany was Air Force SAC base. Right. And SAC bases were say, full of Mickey Mouse stuff. Right. Because you have um, the nuclear weapons there. There you the go. Nu nu nuclear weapons. So from there, you ended up in San Antonio, right? I later was transferred to San, to San Antonio. Antonio. So then from San Antonio, your wife is expecting a child, and you already had one. Is that right? You uh, and your well, wife had Well, five. we had uh, two in Washington when I was in medical school and uh, when I was... Um, intern. Then when I went in the service, uh, another. I, I had yeah. an, another one. 
and uh -huh. that child was born in Georgia. Okay, so <clears> then, and, and then, <clears throat> then I came to San Antonio. Right. We we didn't have any children in San, in San Antonio. Okay, so you've got three boys, and you're coming out of the service, and you're trying to decide where you're going to go, and you're receiving offers, I assume, from all types of Well, I applied to different programs. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to be back in a surgery, and I, I applied neurosurgery and orthopedic surgery. But then, realistically, uh, because we didn't have any money, and I had three children, and it would have been years of training. I mean, it would have been six, seven, to become a neurosurgeon. And um, I don't know how many, well, I entertained plastic surgery because I did all of that. Well, I finally decided on the easy way out. The easy way out uh, was OBGYN. That, that was, and it was happy. It was a happy specialty. And it was happy for me because my patients didn't die. I mean, although I had seen deaths, many deaths in um, Washington and San Antonio, mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't feel that, oh, th those patients had to die, or some of it was their fault, preventive care was lacking, and there were a variety, wide variety of reasons right. that the obstetrical patients died, but that was not nearly as, as, yeah. as the deaths right. on the other surfaces. So you and your wife have, and your children, decide to come to Austin, and what was what was it that drew you to Austin? Okay, I was set up to stay in San Antonio. I had an office selected. I had mail even being delivered. Then I got a call from, I was in the library one night in San Antonio, uh, the library by um, uh, the hospital, uh, um, and I got a call from a physician from Austin, mm -hmm. his name is Dr. B.E. Connor, B.E. Connor. And he wanted me to join his practice. Oh. And he invited me to join his practice. And uh, I forget exactly how he knew about me, but Sort so, of. So he invited you to join his private practice, but you were also invited to practice at the University of Texas Health Center. Is well, that correct? Well, see, that well, what happened was I had planned, I had started to open an office in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then, uh, after he mentioned we came around and surveyed Austin and talked to people. Yes. And then I decided to come to Austin. Well, after I decided to come, then I, I get word that 
Dr. Trickett, who's chair of the UT Health Center, was interested in meeting me and enlisting me to um, work at the UT Health Center. Okay, so that is 1968-69, the conversations that's are going in on. That's 69. Right, so you... you early, that's early. 69, mm -hmm. yes. So you joined the UT Health Center in 1969 in the spring semester, I believe is what yeah. you had told me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that practice, in going there, you were working during the day, during the evening? Yeah. What was the, I, the plan? UT, I, I worked in the mornings. Okay. I, I worked right from... 9 a.m. to noon. And what was five days a week? What was the population like at the time when you joined UT Health Center? Were you you were the first black physician there? Yeah, yes. But what what about the general population? Your patients oh, oh, or the other faculty well, and staff? Um, black patients constituted a small percentage of the total student population. Um, I uh, very rarely saw a black patient. And um, initially, I worked sort of as a family practice physician. And I did um, two uh, employee um, exams, new mm -hmm. people being hired, I, I would screen medically. And, and um, there were three or four other, other part-time gynecologists yeah. that were hired, had been hired at the university. So they didn't immediately need another gynecologist. But then the opening when the opening came, I became a full-time gynecologist okay. there uh, at half-time hours, half-time um, half right. hours. Yeah. Can you tell me also, I believe you told me a story when we were talking before about helping the football team one time. Oh, that, that, that uh, we would take call uh, maybe one night a month, and we would sleep in in the house. We would be <coughs> on the top floor of of the uh, unit, uh, the, the, the residence. Mm -hmm. And uh, one Friday evening, um, I got called. I was on call, I, I, I was in the house, and the team was brought in uh, by the, the coaches and the staff, yeah. and the history was they had gotten food poisoning. They had eaten in a restaurant and gotten food poisoning. And this was a Friday night, and it was before, I think, rice, a rice football game, mm. that, and, and and so <coughs> some of the fellows were very ill and had to be hospitalized mm. on me uh, and, and hydrated and 
sedated. The majority weren't that ill. But I, I did um, treat, treat the team. Now, I, I, there were a couple of observations. Well, I knew that the team was really white. There, there were no blacks at that time in the football team. But um, I was so impressed with the quarterback, who was James Street. He, he um, was, he quarterbacked the last um, national championship, the last <coughs> Lily White, Lily White that's, national championship. That's still a name that, that we recognize here in Austin, yes. certainly. Yes. So do you happen to know um, how the game came out the next day? Oh, Texas won. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Quander, um, do you remember uh, other uh, care for students there at the university? Before we talk about your private practice, can, can you tell us how long did you practice at the University Health Center? Oh, and maybe, maybe, maybe four, four, five years, maybe. <clears throat> well, I, I, I did surgery. I, I had, I, there, there were certain patients that had to um, undergo surgery. Mainly it, it was minor surgery, but then there were some major cases I that uh, I, I, I did. And then the tricky thing was that uh, the parents always had to consent to the operation. And so I would have to uh, present myself and my recommendations mm -hmm. and plans to the family, to the family. I see. And, and, and so uh, uh, it, it, it was very interesting and, uh, and um, uh, it, it, it was, during the um, the big abortion debate, during the uh, um, uh, um, Roe versus Wade, is that Roe That's versus correct. Wade? Yeah, yeah. It, it was during the middle of that, and I got sort of caught up with that. Right. Uh, not primarily at UT Health Center, but More in, in general, in, yeah. in general, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about your private practice then, because living parallel to your morning shift at the University of Texas, you then went to your own private practice that you yes. established when you got to Austin. So tell us about your private practice. Was it an obstacle? Obstetrics, Obstetrics and, gynecology? And, and gynecology. Okay. And I was in solo practice. I did not have a partner. Right. But I uh, attempted to recruit a partner, and I studied the legal aspects and how it, it would uh, be worked out. Uh, the new doctor would not be a partner, really. He 
initially, well, theoretically, buy-in, buy-in mm -hmm. to practice. But couldn't expect a um, young doctor out of medical school to have money to buy-in. So it would be worked out such that they would be salaried. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the formula was worked with the salary mm -hmm. that uh, they would get a certain percentage of so-called income and a percentage of the total after the overhead. So where was your first office for your private practice? It was on um, Martin Luther King. Okay. It was called East 19th. East 19th at the time, yes. right, yes. right. And I, I, I didn't go in with the Dr. Connor who invited me. I made contact with an eye doctor here, mm -hmm. Sidney White, and an optometrist. He wasn't an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. he, and he worked full-time at Bergstrom during the day, and he came to his office in the evening. And so I primarily used his back rooms mm -hmm. um, during the day and what have you. And then after he arrived, uh, I, I just used, confined myself further where I, I uh, uh, was, we were able to work with each other, seeing patients at the same time right. in, in the evening so, after he arrived. So in your private practice, <clears throat> you, um, you cultivated your, your practice and your patients from the community. Um, tell me about, I assume that you were associated with hospitals in the area? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your association with the hospitals? I know that you have to have an admitting practice. Yes, yes. So I had doctors, I've been given the names of doctors who would write, would give me character recommendations. Now, they, they needed that in addition to professional recommendations from my instructors from medical school oh, wow. and, and the o official transcript and those type of things. Yes. So I I needed <coughs> sorry I needed stuff from the inside and then the outside. You know. So I <coughs> I, I needed to um, personally be be someone who um, that would be acceptable well, acceptable to we be would, a member of staff. Any any medical um, official going to a hospital, but so in Austin though, I believe you told me that there was a a black doctor that had admitting privileges to Holy Cross Hospital. 
but not to Brackenridge, Seton, or St. David's. Yes. And you were the first. Yeah, yes. To have admitting practices yes. in those other hospitals. Yes. Well, like the doctor who uh, attracted me to his practice. Mm -hmm. Well, he wasn't doing hospital I see. practice. You know, he, he wasn't doing uh, Historically, he did a lot for the hospital. I went to an exhibition at the University of Texas, University of Texas Medical School Library, all the <clears throat> medical history of, you know, of Texas, Texas. And there were copies of a letter in which this doctor, Dr. Connor, wrote it was Congressman, Congressman LBJ for assistance with getting the Holy Cross Hospital built here. I see, I and, see. And so they responded, uh, Labor, and he, they, they responded and they um, built the Holy Cross, at which place the black physicians could work right. and the black patients weren't discriminated against insofar as beds and stuff like that. So did you first start at Brackenridge in caring for? Yeah, Brackenridge and Holy Cross. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to practice at Brackenridge? What, what, were, your, what were your patients like? What was the? Well, Brackenridge was uh, like the environment. I was from City Hospital, mm -hmm. City Hospital, D.C. General, Robert B. Green, uh, where you, you, you saw the lower socioeconomic groups. You, you saw patients who had neglected their health um, up, up until the end. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you would see patients dying in the or complications mm -hmm. from not <clears throat> coming in uh, and getting diagnosed. So they're treating themselves. And when it came to my specialty, OB-GYN, it was a, an acute uh, situation, catastrophically, because um, the violent ways they would violent instrumentation involved with having abortions and they would uh, do it themselves or their friends would do it or or they there were doctors who did it and they went to Mexico to to get the procedures performed okay. now th these things Two were going on at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. See, so it, it wasn't that um, we were filled up with these cases in one place right. and not the other. Uh, um, the um, lower socioeconomic groups resorted to things later and things more complicated and they went to people who were really inept and, and so they came out 
on the losing side one way or the other. There were losers. That must have been hard for you. I know that um, I remember when we talked before, you told me in your private practice that um, as Roe versus Wade determined that abortion was legal, that because of your faith, I seem to remember you had some conflict with that, with you and your partner. Uh, uh, yes, well, um, when I came, uh, Roe versus Wade had not been. All right. Um, when it was passed, um, a partner uh, I had brought. Now, we had not gone into that as sort of agreement. Uh, there wasn't an agreement about his not performing abortions. I didn't not dictate what he could do and what he couldn't do. He he came in and used to practice good medicine, and and, and um, so when Roe versus Wade was passed and it became law, he he. Um, he sort of needs to remain within the guidelines. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't exactly th- that conflict. It, it was Somebody an overall, uh, overall, and at the time of his introdu- introduction, he demonstrated his his. Personality. So the conflict wasn't just the medical practice, it was business practice as well. Business, uh, personal, and and many facets of of him. And uh, I was desperate and wanted to waive these things, I guess, because I was so desperate to have a partner, because I was... Mm -hmm real busy, and I was tired of, of being always on call and not having quality time to uh, share a call with. Right, mm-hmm. right, that makes sense. So I remember also that we talked about your faith um, being the guiding force, I guess, in choosing not to perform abortions, but that you did provide other medical care for women. Yes. In mm-hmm. family planning and <clears throat> contraception. And, mm-hmm. yes. and so you were able to mm-hmm. to help women in yes. that way. Yes. So then you also practiced uh, later at Seton and St. David's. Yes. And you were also the first there. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Was the procedure getting admitting rights to those hospitals the same as Brackenridge? Yeah, basically they were the same. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so when you and your wife and children arrived in Austin, you had to find a place to live. Mm-hmm. Tell me about um, your introduction to so- the social scene in Austin and um, trying to find a place to live. Well, um, I immediately um, rented a place, which was not a problem. We f- fell into rental property. Mm-hmm. And uh, very inexpensive, nice place. 
um, military uh, uh, sergeant, a sergeant who was away uh, on assignment, and, and then he was coming back, mm -hmm. so we had to um, move. And so then in the uh, moving uh, to another location, things got sort of complicated for a while. Uh, I rented uh, a, a house, a three-bedroom house in, uh, in San Antonio. We're talking about San Antonio now. We're, we're talking about we're back in Austin. Back yeah, in, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Once you oh, got I'm to sorry. Austin, that's okay. Well, in Austin, I said we were in in the house. Uh, then we started looking for uh, property. We right. were told to um, find property. Well, there are some realtors here, uh, black, very prestigious realtors, who. Um, who we um, were friendly with, and um, we did some business with, insurance business with. You know. But they were not able to satisfy our real estate needs. Right. They, what they presented us is not what we wanted. Right. And so, Two, though, what we wanted, we could not get that simply. Uh, and um, what happened was a, 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 we were introduced to a realtor, and um, this lady, she just sort of very, <laughs> aggressively, uh, maternally, so, so this is where you need to live. And she took us to to the street, and there were lots on the, tree, on the streets. And she said, this is a lot, because if you know, there are oak trees all around, and there's space in the middle. And you, you want trees, and you put your house in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it, it was in the right side of town. And, and I'm going to stop you there. What side of town was that? It, it, it was in Northwest Hills. Okay. Yeah. But before that, you, you were shown property on the east side of town. Yeah, east side. And you chose... Uh, we we yeah. didn't want it. Do you mind if we expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yes. About mm -hmm. why... You didn't want to live on the east side of Austin. Oh well, we um, we, we had never um, well um, let's say um, going back going back, I became to be uh, uh, to live a life of integration mm -hmm. and uh, I mean there's this thing now in California with college dorms where all the blacks 
want to be together mm. because they feel they learn each other. Well, I, I didn't want that. I, I, I didn't want to live in the midst of a, a lot of blacks. Uh, I, I, I wanted to be free to come and go, select friends mm -hmm. wherever. I think but you had also live. mentioned to me that you were concerned about the property values. Yeah, and that property. To, right. yeah, that was very important. And yeah. education yes. for your sons. Yes. So Northwest Hills it is. No, Northwest Hills, the land was right, except the owner of the property would not sell, would not sell. Directly to, to you. Yes, he, he wouldn't sell, I mean, indirectly or directly, he, he wasn't going to sell to a black, mm -hmm. a black. And that there was this dentist who, whose office I moved into, mm -hmm. he was unable to build his home. And uh, he had built a home, a new home, and he built it uh, north of Northwest Hills. So did you buy the lot and build a house, or what did you, how did you find a way to well, live where you wanted to live? Well, we decided that's where we wanted to be, and then we decided this is the house, and we decided all those things and uh, the house was built and uh, according to our specifications and then at the end the house was I guess it was bought from the realtor by the uh, builder he, he and the realtor, he, he and my realtor got it from the landowner. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, they it was sold told to you. Sold so to there you. was an intermediary yes. initially to mm -hmm. act as though they were the purchasers and they were building the house for them? Mm -hmm. But it, but it all been said, yeah. I see. For me, yeah. I see. So I believe you had told me that your wife was a nurse, but that also acted as your business manager, your office manager. Yes. And then um, in your practice, you were able to be successful enough to also make investments in Austin in various business uh, <clears throat> opportunities. Yes. yes. So do you want to expand on some of those or some of the... Well, yes. I, I, I came in contact with a, a, a lot of people mm -hmm. very early in my career. And this promotion came out as a result of the the couple that were trying to sell me the real estate, the black, the Afro-American couple. They introduced me <coughs> to sort of Austin society. And then they introduced me to the West Side. They introduced me, I got introduced to Austin politics, Austin political leaders. Mm -hmm. So so early I was I never participated in politics because in DC we couldn't vote. And we we uh, from the very beginning, I mean, you know, we we, we 
didn't bother to donate or bother to go out and get people to the polls. Well, all, all of that changed in my life. It, it was something new. I mean, to, to see signs, uh, I mean, I'd seen them in Connecticut when I, where I went to school and other cities, but not in D.C. where the signs and, and where the people walking and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I, I came here and first of all, we were trying to get a black member on the Austin City Council. So did you work in a campaign or yeah, not Yeah, I worked in, in the campaign. Do you remember who your candidate was that you oh, got yes. behind? Yeah, Burl Hancock. Oh, I see. And what was what was your um, what did you do to help with that? Oh, oh I met met with the group and we called on people, donated money, raised mm -hmm. health, raised money, voiced opinions, and uh, um, just general. Uh, the campaign friendship, friendship, yeah, friendship, yeah, campaign, whatever it involved. I said this was all new to me. Yeah. And then, two, um, I really didn't have time for too much of it because of my practice. Right. So I, I, I did it as best I could. Right. So you were practicing for five years at the UT Health Center. You also had your private practice. You were also... Um, working shifts over at Brackenridge mm -hmm. for indigent care and in, in, uh, in yes. all that clinics <clears throat> in the city, right? Clinics, community and then clinics. also getting involved in the community. Did you tell me that is it the Andersons that yes. you had told me about? Is that who brought kind of through a welcome party and introduced yeah. you to yes. society? Yeah, um, MJ MJ Anderson, Ada Anderson. Right, right, and they're prominent leaders in the community yes. as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so are they the ones that helped get you involved in the political scene? Yeah, yes, okay. uh, they, they did. And uh, insofar as the presidential thing, I, uh, I was invited to meet presidential candidates. I, I, I saw the in, the in crowd, I, I, I was sort of, I, I mean, when uh, Senator Benson, when mm -hmm. I mean, I would get invited when McGovern, you know, would be at the old Villa Capri. I, I would get invited to come, and then I, I would go to the headliners quite often. I see. And um, th then I got involved with. Um, the Johnsons, uh, the Johnson. Well, that it sort of. I think basically, fundamentally, it was because their grandchildren and my children were in class together. I see. At, and, and 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 so. Um, at where was that? At Anderson. No, that no. was at, at a Catholic um, school at um, St. Austin. <clears throat> So my wife came become close uh, to Lucy insofar as the children were concerned. So we attended nursery school, and, and then I became 
were close to Lucy's ex-husband. But uh, we um, continued to um, be friendly with the Johnsons, and so uh, we were invited to the ranch for special occasions, even for baptisms of the baby. So we went up to the ranch to attend baptisms, and then for the dedication of the uh, LBJ um, Museum, I, I, I was an honorary usher, or I, I sort of would have some position. And well, you've been very modest. You're on the A list, yeah. and you never told me that. Yeah. You've been very modest <laughs> in yeah. all of this. Well, what would you say, um, since you've been in Austin since 1969, you, you were here during a lot of the time with um, political movements and um, civil rights movements were kind of in the scene as well here in Austin, women's movements. What do you think maybe is one of the biggest... Um, are most memorable changes that you've seen in Austin for our society? Well, um, insofar as the leadership, I I, I don't know exactly uh, what type of leadership, insofar as Mm -hmm. Afro-Americans, uh, M.J. Anderson, they were very knowledgeable and they're successful, but uh, insofar as leading the masses, um, now they got out the vote, or I don't know if they got the vote out for Johnson or who uh, would you say, but um, when it came to local elections, the, 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 the Larry Jacksons, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Vama and NAACP, yes, uh, that, that, that was the leadership, the leadership, and we acknowledged that. Uh, there were certain plans for the city. Uh, that had been set 25, 30 years right, ago. Right. That the new breeds couldn't do anything because there was so much old money, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, and um, people knew where things were going to develop and what direction, and they had their money in the right place right Right. yes what do you think was the biggest challenge moving to austin and getting settled in either your practice or your family life what for you was the biggest challenge? well i i was a pioneer and i was able to take advantage of of everything i i i got involved in i i I was we, we were into music, and so we got involved with the symphony, and I became the 
first black night of the symphony. I don't know if they ever did get another black night <laughs> uh, uh, because I know this friend of mine who was a big guy with IBM, he, he turned it down. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he, he, he turned it down. And I, I don't know if people realize what it entailed. I mean, of course, the wives were the ones who raised the money and this right. and that. Right. But you, you lent your name. Yeah, um, you lent yeah, your name. Yeah, and, right. and then I had fun. I have fun with them. And uh, and then they lent me money. They, right. they, they, right. And the bottom line is I was able to borrow money. And I didn't borrow money for my practice. Right. I, I borrowed money for investments. Right. And so I, I was able to cash in on on everything I um, I wouldn't say I'd use people or anything, no, no, but I, 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 I was approached and often the people who approached me and my well, I don't have any money. Oh, you don't need money. Right. You just need some collateral, and right. you got a, a lot of patients with unpaid bills, and those unpaid bills are collateral, and and that's what I did. I used those Your unpaid case. bills of welfare girls and all free as collateral to um, buy into banks and buy into real estate and buy in, in to educate my, my kids at the Ivy League schools and all that. One, one of, speaking of money, I, one of the challenges today for college students and certainly for people that go on and get their education in medicine is they come out of school with an incredible student debt. Yeah. But you didn't have student debt because you, how did you, you paid for school as you went. Yeah, I paid for school. You, I worked but and you, my wife worked. But you told me about a debt that you did have when you first came to Austin. Yeah, we, we, we borrowed $4,000 to pay off a car. Right. No, yeah. So that was your, yeah, but, but that but was we, still something that Yeah, we never... Finance cars. That's one thing we, you know, we always pay cash for cars. We we didn't finance uh, um, little stuff. I mean, house mortgage is is one thing, sure. uh, and, and so that it's certain things, you know. But the same way with educational loans. When I came through, the bank said, well, you know that. A loan you got for two percent. Don't worry about it. Don't pay that off because you want to pay off higher, higher interest, interest rates, okay. and and you want to borrow at, at low interest rates. So if it's low already, don't waste your collateral or your earned cash paying that off just to say you don't have any debt. So, so we've talked about the challenges of coming to Austin and it being segregated and having, you know, being a pioneer and going into all these places.
places. What do you think the best thing about coming to Austin was for you as a physician? What oh, was, what was but, the happiest? The best well, thing? well, the the best thing was it, it, it was open, and I I could um, I I could shape it the way you know my practice. You know, I I could have gone in with some other people. I could have brought some people in with me. I I had different choices of going about it. Unfortunately, I made a couple of bad decisions, but it didn't ruin me. I learned from my thing and. It, it, it didn't end up um, getting me wiped out in any yeah. way, shape, or form. And I, I am confronted with um, issues and practices and, and having to, to make the right decision in, in all aspects of my life and our lives, mm -hmm. and even with my family right. and, and right. my wife's family. Right. So I think that's all the questions I have for the interview, and, but I'd like to end with this. Is there anything <clears throat> that you'd like to, that I didn't ask, that you want to leave on the record about your time here in Austin? Oh, well, um, the, the youth, the black, Moving out of Austin, I mean, that, that's what they always talk about. Well, uh, this, this trend sh should be reversed. Are you it, talking about how expensive Austin has gotten? And Well, and they, they talk about mm -hmm. that. Oh, actually. Uh -huh. How expensive, and that there are not these opportunities. Well, there are opportunities, and, and there are, are, are things that um, people need to be aware of that are attractive and uh, should be bringing them here mm -hmm. or should keep them here. But I, I think uh, a lot of, of us are moving away from gold mines into in, in tender traps, so to speak. Uh, I mean, because they haven't studied what's here and, and what's the future, what lies in the future. And they don't understand either the, the, the total complexity of it mm -hmm. insofar as political, um, military, uh, and especially the um, the geopolitical. I'm grandson who's involved in health sciences, oh, health sciences, yeah. Yeah. and astronomy, and and the soil, and, yeah. and, and he wants to come to Texas. I he see. he wants. To come here because he's in Chicago now, and the, he he's 
on the ball. I, I mean, and, and he's spoken. So he's doing his homework to he's, he's try to figure out how homework. to do that. That's yes. good. That's mm-hmm. good. All right. Well, Dr. Quander, I'm deeply grateful that you've spent the time both preparing for the interview and mm-hmm. actually coming down here and mm-hmm. doing yeah. the interview. Yes. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope everything. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you. Good. <laughs>